It's always a joy to get to worship together. What a privilege it is to live in a country where we can, where we have those freedoms to gather together. And of course, it's my privilege today to get to open up God's Word and to preach it as well. So I'm excited about the opportunity to do that. Before uh, coming to Longview Point, I had the privilege of serving at a church in New Albany, Mississippi. And one of my good friends there happened to be a doctor. And he, you know, is taking care of my family in a lot of different ways, from breathing treatments for uh, our little kids uh, to dropping everything that he was doing and coming straight to the hospital, to the ER, when I had a broken face uh, from flag football, of all things. Uh, Another story for another time. But he uh, just has done an incredible job of caring for our family and continues to do so. And, you know, he's got an incredible skill and talent and, and everything there. But people of an older generation might say he's the good doctor. He, you know, he's invested so much in the community. He uh, cares for his patients beyond just their physical needs, but also their spiritual needs as well. And just genuineness there, compassion there. And so they would say he's the good doctor. Well, Today, I want us to look at a passage of Scripture where Christ refers to himself as the good shepherd. That this is the the passage that you're seeing his goodness. He is the best shepherd by far. He's unparalleled to any others. He is there. He has a loveliness and a winsomeness. Is what the Greek word there that he uses. It's, It's talking about his character and how it's much greater than just the skill set that he has as a shepherd, but it's also who he is and the way he draws people to himself. So Christ is the good shepherd. So if you will, take your Bibles and turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And as is custom, will you stand in honor of the reading of God's word? This is what it says, starting in verse 1. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus said again to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who come before me, who came before me, are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. 
I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I received from my Father. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the truth of it, for the, the glory of who you are, that you reveal yourself to us through this passage, how we can trust you as our good shepherd. We praise you that you are good, uh, that you are lovely and winsome, and Lord, that you are drawing people to you today. So Father, I pray for that, that we will uh, listen to your voice and do as you have commanded us to do, to trust in you and follow after you, that we will be sheep of your flock. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So for us, we don't know a lot about shepherds, or at least I don't. I haven't spent a lot of time around sheep and shepherds. Uh, but for the audience here that Jesus is talking to, this would have been a very prevalent um, profession in their, their time period. That was what they had for the land there around them, a lot of shepherds. And we see that throughout the Old Testament, right? We see that with Abel at the beginning of Genesis, how he was a shepherd. We continue to see it with the patriarchs and how they were shepherds caring for sheep. We see it through Moses. Do y'all remember what he was doing when he saw the burning bush? He was caring for sheep. And then David, when he's called out of the field to be ordained as the next king of Israel, he was keeping his flocks. Even Amos, the minor prophet, was written by a shepherd. So as they listened to this story, they, they had a lot of context of what a shepherd was to look like, what a good shepherd looked like, what a poor shepherd looked like. But they also had this perception that, that the religious and actual social leaders of their day were shepherds. The kings were known as shepherds, and also their spiritual leaders. Some of them were good shepherds, like David. Most of the time, he led the people well, caring for the flock and doing what was right in the eyes of the Lord. But others were not. Others did a poor job, and instead of caring for the flocks, instead of taking care of the, the people that had been entrusted to them, they were far from good. Ezekiel 34 is God rebuking those very shepherds of calling them out because the sheep were hungry and starving and scattered because the shepherds were not caring for them, but instead looking after their own interest. That is the context that we jump into here in John chapter 10. You, you see there's two words there at the beginning of chapter 10 that says, truly, truly. Now, when you see that, that means that typically that's not the beginning of the story. That means you need to actually look back to the chapter before to see exactly what is going on to cause Jesus to respond in this way that he has. Well, if you look back at John chapter 9, there you see the Pharisees, who were the spiritual leaders of Jesus' day, they had just kicked a man out of the synagogue 
because he was blind and Christ had healed him on the Sabbath. And that man was rejoicing and praising God for what Christ has done. And the Pharisees were so angry about what had taken place that they just kicked him out of the synagogue. They are interacting with Jesus as he's talking in verse 40 of chapter 9. It says, some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? And Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say, we see your guilt remains. You see, throughout all of chapter 10, Jesus is setting himself up as the opposite of these false teachers, the opposite of these Pharisees, because he is the good shepherd. Where they fall short, he meets through in perfection. So for us, this is different. For us, a shepherd is hard to wrap our minds around. I, you know, I don't know a lot about shepherds, haven't spent a lot of time around them. I need to ask Frank all these questions about what a shepherd does, right? Because he could tell us all about it. But the people hearing this story should understand what a poor shepherd looks like and what a good shepherd looks like. And that's the audience that Jesus is originally talking to here. So what is he telling us about himself? How does he teach us about himself as the good shepherd through this passage? I think first of all, he teaches us this. The good shepherd calls his sheep by name and leads them. Let's read through this again. Verse 3. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Many of us have read this story before. We know the idea of Christ as the good shepherd. But just pause for one second and dwell on that, that it is by name. There is a personality to that. There is a closeness to that, an intimacy to that, that we can sink in, that Christ knows us. I've thought about that before and how Christ knows the number of hairs on our head. He knows the things that we like to do. But this is deeper than that. This is knowing us intimately at a greater level. You know, in our world we have, and in our lives, we have people that are kind of shadows of the relationships that we have. You know, or that we can have with God. You look around and we have brothers, we have sisters, we have parents, we have children, we have friends, we have, you know, all these different relationships, but they're just a glimpse of the depth of the relationship that we get to have with the God and creator of the universe. The perfect relationship that we get to have with him. He calls us by his, by our name. There's something about a name, isn't it? Think, think through that one more time. It doesn't matter. We have a couple hundred people sitting here today. But God knows your name individually. If you made your way to Omaha this past week with 23,000 of your closest friends, he still knew, knows your name there amidst all of them. Doesn't matter if you're going to be in with 62,000 of your closest friends this fall in your favorite stadium. God knows your name. There's something about a name. It's amazing to me. My kids will play with somebody for hours upon end, just have the greatest time ever. And they'll come back and they'll tell me all about it. And I'm saying, okay, what, what was their name that you were playing? Oh, I don't know. 
It's like you got to learn people's names. Like there's something, it, it, it shows an intentionality behind it. I've been reminded often of my grandmother. I'm the oldest grand, uh, grandchild on one side of my family. And so you get the, the opportunity at that point to name the grandparent, right? For the longest time, I didn't have a name for her. So I just walked up to her and pulled on her shirt and said, hey, you, hey, you, hey, you. She finally stopped me and said, look, you have to come up with a name. She didn't want to just be called, hey, you anymore. She wanted something more personal than that. God knows your name personally, intimately. He knows your thoughts. He knows your hopes. He knows your dreams. He knows your heart. And we should rejoice that there is that intimacy with him because he is our good shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture, the sheep of his flock. He also leads us. Like I said, I, I didn't know a lot about shepherds, but I always kind of envisioned uh, shepherding. You had dogs, and you're driving them, you know, keeping them going in one general direction. But that wasn't the case during this culture, during this time. That's not the way that they led the sheep. They didn't drive, but they actually led them. It's really fascinating. As you look uh, at the earlier verses, they talk about the pen. And the pen was this area, and it had three stone walls around it, okay? And then you'd either have a door or somebody would, would guard that area, uh, the shepherd would, so that nothing would come in or out. But they had the walls there around it. Well, as night would come, multiple shepherds would keep their flocks all in a singular pen, so you could have four shepherds with all their flocks right there. The shepherds would go home. They'd hire somebody to watch their flocks. And then they would come back the next morning and get their sheep. But they didn't drive their sheep out. Instead, the shepherds would call out to their sheep. They either had a, a song that they would sing or they would call them by name because they would have names for all of them. They were close to them. And the sheep would hear the voice of their shepherd. And it didn't matter that there were other shepherds there calling them in different directions. Instead, the sheep knew who their shepherd was, and they would go to the shepherd's voice. Do we know our shepherd's voice? Maybe today, maybe right now, he is calling out your name to salvation. Maybe today he's calling out your name, wanting you to turn from your sin that you just keep going back to, and instead turn to him, trusting in him as the good shepherd that lays down his life for you, that he loves you so much that he's calling you out, leading you to where he wants you to go. One of the best ways, the best way to know God's voice is to read his word to know all about him, to know his character, to know his desire for your life, to be people that are spending as much time getting to know his voice as we possibly can. Time in his word, soaking it up, listening to him. The ones who are the best at hearing God's voice are the ones who spend the time with him so that they can know his voice when they hear it. We need to be people of the book. Not just on Sundays, not just on Wednesdays, but every day of the week, longing to hear the voice of our Savior. The sheep knew the voice of their shepherd, and they would follow him. I pray that is us today, and I pray that if you have heard 
his voice for the first time today, that you will come to know him and to trust him. So he knows us, he leads us, but the good shepherd also gives us salvation and security. Salvation and security. It's fascinating to me, you know, with everything that we've said about shepherds, that, and they under, they should, the original audience should understand what he was getting at from the very first few verses. But it tells us there in verse 6, this figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying. They completely missed the point. They've completely, they're off in left field and, and they're not getting what he is telling them. And so he decides to expound on it. Decides that he needs to explain to this a little bit more. And we think that he's mixing metaphors because you look at verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. You know, we, we think that he's confused now because he's the good shepherd, but now why is he talking about the door? Well, if you remember, we talked about the pen, right? And the pen had three sides there around it. But a lot of the pens didn't actually have a door. And so the shepherd would lay down there in the open space so that nothing came in the pen or out of the pen without the shepherd knowing it. So he can still be the great shepherd and be the door. He is both of those things. And as we look at this, he is the only entrance to the pen. He is the only way to have a relationship with God the Father. It is a foreshadowing of John 14, 6, where he says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He is that path. He is that way. He is the door that we must enter into, and that door is the cross. That is our way of entering into a relationship with him. We mentioned this a little bit earlier, but you see he's setting himself up against these false teachers and Pharisees, isn't he? Those who came before him, who have led the, the people astray. It, but he sets them up right here in verse 10. You, Go back to verse 1, actually. He calls them thieves, which are talking about them stealing things. He calls them robbers, which is talking about violence that they would show uh, towards things. But then he comes back in verse 10 to elaborate on it again. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you see how he sets it up against each other? The thief, the false teachers, we, we often think of the thief as Satan there, but truly in this context it is the false teachers that he's referring to. Their teaching is bringing the damage, is the stealing and the killing and destroying, even though they're teaching the doctrines of Satan is what they're doing. And he's setting himself up against them. They are false, he is true, he is good. The false teachers, they came to steal, but what did Christ do? He came to give. The false teachers, they came to kill, but Christ gives life. The false teachers, they came to destroy, but Christ came to give us an abundance. More than what is ever necessary, more than what we need, but even far beyond that. He gives us joy, love, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, 
all of these things, and that's just the tip of the iceberg with what God has given each of us. He is the true shepherd. He is the leader of Israel, the good one, the one who has come. He's the one mentioned in Psalm 78 and 79 and 95 and 100 of the good shepherd that cares for the flock of his people. And as we trust in him, we get to be a part of that flock. Get to be a part of his people. He gives us salvation. The opportunity to know the Father, to have that relationship with him. He is the only way. But he continues on and he says, we will go in and out and find pasture. For sheep to go in and out, they have to feel secure. He continues to set himself um, off against the, the hired hand in these next few verses. Verse 12, he says, He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. You see, the hired hand that he's setting himself against here runs away when hardships come. When the storms of life are raging, when difficulties come, when when there's heartache, when there's problems, when all of those things, the hired hand runs away, but yet the good shepherd stays with us no matter what we're going through to the point that he is right beside us in any kind of difficulty, any kind of storm, anything, any challenge that we may face. The good shepherd is still there with us where a hired hand runs away. We have a hope and a future with him because he holds us in his hands. He is the good shepherd. I came across a quote by Mark Richt uh, just this week. Uh, many of y'all know who Mark Richt is. He uh, used to be a football coach for the University of Georgia, um, was there for years, moved on to the University of Miami after that, is now doing uh, like an analyst for the ACC Network. Um, but this is what he had to say with what's been going on with him. He says, I've been waddling around lately and people have asked me what's wrong. I've decided to tell everyone at the same time I've been diagnosed with Parkinson's. Truthfully, I look at it as a momentary light affliction compared to the future glory in heaven. Thank you, Jesus, for promising me a future blessing of a glorified body that has no sin and no disease. In the meantime, I'm going to enjoy the blessings that I do have. That is somebody who is walking with the Good Shepherd. That is someone who is trusting in him even though things are difficult. He's trusting that he is in the hands of a loving God and shepherd. And we can have that same trust that he is our good shepherd, that no matter what we are going through, he genuinely cares for us. So we have salvation. We have security. He calls us by our name. He leads us out. But he also willingly lays down his life for his sheep. Willingly. Not forced upon him, but yet he chooses to lay down his life for us. 
Verse 11 says this, and, and just notice how many times it points it out, laying down his own life. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Look at verse 14. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father." Just in those few verses, five times does he say that he is choosing to lay down his life for his sheep. But I want to notice, uh, keep that in your mind for just a second, okay? But notice what he's doing. He's laying down his life for his sheep, but then it goes on to say, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. What happens when a sheep is off by itself? When it is scattered? It's not good for the sheep, is it? He ends up hurt, injured, or even a victim of the wolves. But Christ, in laying down his life, brings us together as one flock under him as the one good shepherd. That's why we meet together. We just got back from camp a couple of weeks ago, and they had videos uh, where the whole theme each time was together. And how important it was for us to come together to worship. And we talked about how you can look to the left and to the right, and you see brothers and sisters in Christ who are raising their voices, praising. It doesn't matter if you sing well. Ask my wife. I don't sing well at all but coming together to praise the Lord. That we get to pray together, that we get to open up and study God's word together, that we get to do all these things together. That is the, the joy of being part of the flock. We need each other. We need connect groups so that we can have that accountability together and build those relationships that are deeper because we're all part of one flock under the one good shepherd. This is just a small glimpse of God's flock, a very small glimpse of his flock. But we get to come together and be reminded of the good shepherd and how we are all a part of his people. We are not meant to walk alone, not meant to be lone ranger Christians. Came across a study this week that said 15% of men and 10% of women in America have no close friends. That's not the way it's supposed to be. That is up from 3% of men in 1990 that would have said the same thing. We have issues within our culture where we are not having deep, meaningful relationships, and we need that. And that's the joy of being part of the flock. But go back. He laid down his life, and he does it willingly. 
Nothing was forced upon him. He is not a helpless victim. He's not simply a martyr. The cross was not some futile demonstration of love. The cross is Christ in our place. It is him knowing that his sheep were in eternal mortal uh, uh, danger. That's the word I was looking for, eternal mortal danger. And he took our place instead. Think about the power of the good shepherd that we're studying today. Think about just as many times that they tried to stone him. Read through the book of John in, verse, uh, in chapter 7, verse 30 and 44, where they're ready to arrest him, but yet somehow he gets away because it's not quite his time yet. Even later in this chapter, they're angry about what he has said, and so they're, they're ready to stone him. But it wasn't his time yet. His ministry was not yet complete but he is powerful and he willingly goes to the cross on our behalf. This is the Jesus who in the garden of Gethsemane caused his captures to fall to the ground simply by saying, I am he. And they can't even stay on their feet. Jesus, who commands Peter to put up his sword, heals a servant's ear when he could have called down 12 legions of angels. Jesus who when he was on the cross had the power to shake the ground and rip the curtain in the temple. Jesus, who surrendered his spirit when all the prophecies had been fulfilled at the cross. Jesus, who conquered the grave, taking away our penalty for our sin, if we simply trust in him. You hear that about Jesus and you realize that no nails were keeping him on that cross. It was him being the good shepherd, caring for his sheep and taking our place and taking the penalty of our sin on his shoulders so that we can enter into that relationship with him. That is the good shepherd who willingly lays down his life for our salvation. His choice, his suffering. So what is your response? What is your response? As you look a little bit, these next few verses in the chapter, it says this. This was the the response of the Jewish people here. There was again a division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said he has a demon and is insane. Why listen to them? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? I think you really have three options here. You see two of the options here in this text. I think the third you see lived out by the disciples. But the the first option here, you look at verse 20, they thought he was either demonic or insane. They listened to what Christ said. They, they paid attention to the words uh, of him claiming to be the good shepherd, of him laying down his life, all those things, and they just cast it aside as just crazy talk. And you can make that decision. I, I hope that you don't. But then you look. There's others who said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? They saw what he had done, and they wanted to know more about him. They wanted to know more of his character. They wanted to know more of who Christ was. And so maybe that's you today. 
Maybe you've come here today because you want to know more about who Christ is. I pray that you come forward in just a little while. We'll have pastors and we'll have ladies here who want to tell you more about this Jesus that we love and that we serve, this good shepherd who cares for you. But the third choice is the choice that the disciples made, and that's that they followed him. They saw his life. They heard his teachings. They realized that he is the one true good shepherd, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who sacrificed his life, laying it down on his own so that we could have eternal life with him. And if you've never asked him, never submitted your life to him as your Lord and Savior, I pray that today that is where you are, that you come forward and tell us about that so that we can walk you through it, but that you trust in him. So what is your response to Christ as the good shepherd? How are you going to respond to what you've heard about him today? Maybe you're already a believer, and you just want to rejoice in the fact that he is the good shepherd. You've seen him walking through the valleys with you, the valley of the shadow of death. You see how he has been near to you. You realize the price he's paid for your salvation, and maybe it's just time just to worship him. Or maybe you realize that God is calling you, you hear his voice to join this small part of his flock. We would love to have you here at Longview Point. But what I'm asking for you is that whatever it is that you hear the voice of the Lord, if he's calling your name to salvation, you respond to it. If he's whatever it is that he's calling you to, that you will be obedient and follow after him because he is the good shepherd. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much that you have laid down your life for us, that you love us even when we are undeserving of that love. Father, I pray that if anyone is here that does not know you, Lord, that today will be the day of their salvation, that you will will call out their name and they will respond and put their trust and faith in you. Father, I pray that we are encouraged knowing that you are near and that your love for us is more than, than we can ever imagine. So Father, thank you. Thank you for, for Christ. Thank you for his sacrifice. Thank you for the opportunity that we have to gather together and to worship you. Help us to respond as you lead. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.